Once upon a time. Once upon a time, there was a lungs named Lucy. Lucy lungs loved to breathe. It brought her all the joy and that she had in her life. She would breathe in, take in oxygen, give it to the blood. The blood would then go pumped around the body. And she would take out the carbon dioxide and breathe it back out. She loved to breathe. And she worked really closely with Chad. Chad was the heart. Chad loved everybody. Chad was a dude. He said, I love you, Lucy. I love pumping your heart. Chad loved like most hearts do. And most Chads do, for that matter. So one day, Lucy Lung started getting sick. There was a pandemic going around, and a virus was causing lungs to get sick. She had been nervous about this, but she got sick anyway. And Chad, of course, he loves Lucy Lung as he loves the whole body. And he says, I love you, Lucy. I know what we'll do. I'll pump twice as hard. And he started pumping harder and harder and harder as Lucy got sicker and sicker and had more and more trouble doing the things she loved that brought her joy of giving oxygen to the body. Well, Lucy got sicker and sicker, and eventually she needed medications and other interventions from the doctors to take care of her. And she got sicker and sicker. And Chad needed medications, so he got all the medications to make him even able to pump harder. But it still wasn't quite hard enough, and Lucy still got sicker. And after a couple weeks of this going on, the virus was beat. The body's able to beat a virus after a few weeks. But Lucy looked like a fire burn victim. She was scarred all over. And she was not able to produce enough oxygen. And those medications that had to be given continued to be given to keep Chad all energized and able to pump the blood. But slowly, the kidney twins started to complain. The kidney twins, they take all these chemicals and they turn them and get them out of the body. And with all the chemicals that were being added to the body to help Chad do his job better and help Lucy do her job better, they're getting more work and more work with less pay and less pay. A lot of work with low pay means people go on strike. And so the kidney twins go on strike. And that's, you know, okay for a little while. There are things that can be done. But now Chad's having to work even harder to try and pump the blood around the body. And the kidney tins are going, strike, strike, strike. And the only person willing to cross the picket line is George. George the liver. George is a British liver and he has a stiff upper lip. George carries on. He stays calm. He's read the sign. George keeps trying and trying, working and doing his job. And as George is doing his job, he cannot keep up. He cannot keep up, and George gets in trouble until George is stuck. Poor George. And when George is stuck, it causes problem in the skin. And the skin turns yellow with jaundice. And slowly the body starts looking like a Lego figurine. And when you look like a Lego figurine, everything is not awesome. Everything's not cool when your body's not working as a team. And so the body went into multi-organ failure. And despite all the chemicals and everything, George couldn't keep up. And then that left Chad working as hard as he could, 
but all the weight was on him. And he had to go and fill all the roles and do everything he could. But eventually, after weeks of a marathon, the heart stopped. You see, the whole body needs to work together. Let us read from 1 Corinthians 12. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand, no one speaks in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body through many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all are we and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong in the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong in the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, nor, again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unrepresentable parts are treated with greatest modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has composed the body, giving greater honor to parts that lacked it. And there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts, healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? 
Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. Or as Chai would say, excellent! Have you ever walked into the middle of an argument? I once walked into the middle of people rehearsing Neil Simon's Barefoot in the Park. And there's a scene in there where the two lovers are in an argument and they are screaming at each other. And if you start the play at that point, you have no idea what's going on. Neil Simon even wrote about that, about he didn't even remember the original argument he had with his wife that kind of inspired that. He just remembers that at the end of the argument, his wife pick up, picked up a raw fish and threw it in his face. And they all started laughing. A lot of times, even when we're in arguments, we forget. Well, in this passage, that's what we've done. We've walked into the middle of an argument. Paul's argument here to the Corinthians of who they are supposed to be as a church. It's hard to preach on Corinthians, and you probably have heard very few sermons on Corinthians that didn't involve this phrase. The Corinthian church was a mess. And that's simple and true. They were a mess. But there's a reason that they're a mess. There are multicultural cultures coming together, trying to figure out how to be a church. You see, Corinth is a predominantly Roman pagan culture. There is a Jewish population there. And as the church came out of the Jewish um, congregations and populations and tended to start in those in different locations— Paul even cites that he would start in the synagogues and then move out of the synagogues in his process of preaching and building churches in new places. You then end up with people with a Jewish background and people with a pagan background, trying to figure out how to do life together, trying to figure out how this God loving us and Jesus dying for us thing works as a community. And then we bring our own culture into that. And that makes it hard for us to sometimes see what's going on. So we're going to start with part of that culture, which was animism. Animism is the oldest religion or spirituality, whichever you want to call it, in the world. We have cave drawings that we are, scientists are fairly certain, depict animistic practices. Animism is the idea that things have spirits. There is a spirit for the water. There is a spirit for the ocean. There is a spirit for your cow. There is a spirit for your pet dog. There is a spirit for the tree. There is a spirit everywhere. And therefore, if you suddenly possess the gift to write poetry, you're going to have spirits come upon you to help you write that poetry. If you have the spirit to do this, It's not just this internal motivation as we like to think of it in our world. It's a spirit motivating you to do that. And in the world at that time, a lot of those sort of spiritual practices eventually, as people got together and it became a bigger thing, it got formalized into Roman deities and the Roman polytheism of that time. And so this idea that, well, if I'm speaking in a different language over here, that I didn't necessarily have the ability to do 
before, or if this person's getting up here and preaching, the spirit that is on them, the person that's over there prophesying, the spirit that's enabling them to do that, is going to be a prophesying spirit. It's not going to be a speaking in tongues spirit. The spirit of here that's speaking in tongues, that's not going to be a healing spirit. There's all these different spirits. Why do would one be the same thing? So if I want to speak in tongues, I'm going to go over here and pray to the speaking tongue spirit. If I want to heal, I'm going to pray to the healing spirit. If I want to prophesy, I'm going to pray to prophesying spirits. But there's a problem with that. Because from the Jewish perspective, there aren't a lot of spirits. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. There is one spirit, and that is the Holy Spirit. And so Paul has to correct that as people are pursuing these gifts and learning about these gifts, that you shouldn't be developing up these spirits. It is all from the same spirit. And then logically the argument continues, if it's all from the same spirit, and then we are all united in that same spirit. There is a unity to us all. And that's important because, again, this is a different culture, and there is a culture class going on. In the Jewish world at that time, it was hierarchical based on birth order. The father was in charge. He had his oldest son who was going to inherit most of the stuff. So he was trying to get that oldest son to be able to manage everything well. There's a second son that's going to inherit a lesser amount and trying to get that, okay, you're going to set up and be able to manage that over here. Then there's the third son that gets an even smaller amount and probably has to go off and do his own things to be able to survive. And farther down the list, that's why if you had like seven sons, it makes sense that David went out and joined the army and became a pirate um, outlaw militia leader because he was the seventh son. The inheritance had been divided a bunch of times by then, and he had to kind of figure things out on his own. And that worldview was at clash with the Roman worldview. Now, in that worldview, your family and your genealogy is important because it's who you're the son of. In the Roman worldview, there was a head of your household. Most likely, it's the oldest male, but it didn't have to be. It's whoever could amass the most power and position themselves to be the head of the household, the matriarch or patriarch of that family. Then underneath that matriarch or patriarch was all the men. All the men that were born into the family, all the men that married into the family, all the men that worked for the family were in like a second tier. And everything they did represented whatever the patriarch did. So the patriarch was very controlling of everything you do reflects on me, so you better do the right thing. And then their wives and children were thrown in there, and the wives and children's actions reflected on the men of the family, which then reflected on the patriarch. So everything has to do with we need to honor this patriarch, and this patriarch's honor building up empowers our family community to be more powerful. But that's not the way of Christ. In Christ, we are one body. We are one spirit. In this modern world, we all look, like, look at this with our nuclear family, and then we all have to send away our kids at, when they're 18 to go build up their own nuclear family, and it's very individualistic, and my honor is my honor. But again, that's not the body of Christ. All honor is God's honor. So we are one spirit. And that's why 
those who are, have less honor, have less means, have less ability to function in our society effectively to do things that we want to do, need to be lifted up, not condemned, not to be demanded to do things, to be catered towards. We need to create opportunities for the people that are doing different things and have different abilities. But we also need to care to the vulnerable among us, those who are having health concerns, those who may have handicaps, those who are dealing with mental illness, those who are so overworked they can't find the time to be involved in the body. We are one. But Paul promises to show a more excellent way. Because as all of our gifts are nice, there's one gift that we should all be seeking. And that is love. 1 Corinthians 13, which is just the next chapter, verse 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Our ability to show love to each other is vital. And not a domineering, you have to do what I say love. Not a love that demands, you love me so I can love you but a love that compassionately lifts up the weak, that sets healthy boundaries, a love that leads into us loving others as we love ourselves so that we together can love God fully. The buddy system is important. We can't do this on our own. We can't love by yourself. A lot of people in the Methodist tradition, which our denomination is part of, believes that the thing that unites the Trinity, the thing that makes God one, is love. That these three individual, fully autonomous parts can be fully united in love. And so in trying to live out God's love in the world, we should be united. We should make room for our autonomy, make room for our boundaries, Make room for everyone to be an individual. And yet all room, the same room for everyone to be a part. It's in accepting people where they're at. And yet calling them to Christ and to love deeper. That we then can show the world what love is. And so I'm going to close in prayer. And my invitation to you all is search in your hearts. How could you love those around you more? How can you be more involved as a unit with the rest of this body? Accepting that some people are hands and you may be an ear and not ever get why a hand acts the way a hand is. But you're all one body. Holy God, we pray for unity in your church. We pray for the Holy Spirit to come and unite us in spite of differences, to teach us to love, 
We pray for your amazing grace to be dwelt in us and overflow from us so that we may love each other and love this world. We pray these things in your holy and all-powerful name. Amen.